This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by The Uniform Stylist. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauty Industry, Tamara Reed. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Kira Maloney, HR specialist. Kira is a human resources professional and a skilled industry recruiter who started her career in the corporate and public sector. Kira is a fresh face to many business owners, but has been a familiar and valued resource for many therapists in Melbourne, having previously worked as the internal HR manager at a premium corporate chain in Melbourne, and was one of the original co-founders of the Aesthetic Agency. Kira is now a business development manager at Headhunter Recruitment and is determined to share her knowledge with business owners on how they can manage their own talent search and that it can be affordable and successful for the first time around. Over the last five years, Kira has implemented unique ways of finding team members and has found innovative avenues to ensure staff retention beyond the induction and training period. Her newfound philosophy, make sure they're seen to keep them keen, Kira's priority is listening to staff, acknowledging their wants and their needs, celebrating their achievements and ensuring that their relationship with the business remains a mutually beneficial one. Here's Kira and I for Butte Industry. Kira, thank you so much for joining me today on the Butte Industry podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, the pleasure is all mine. This chat has been a long time coming and I know one that our business owners and even team members um, and audience at wider large are going to be obsessed with because you are this HR specialist that has all of the answers, I'm going to (laughs) say. I'm not quite sure about all of the answers, but I do try my best. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answers that they're certainly looking for, that's for sure. And look, I want to give a little bit of context and background to you before we jump into having all of their questions answered. And that is to find out how you entered into the professional beauty and aesthetic industry, because some people may not be familiar with your name or your face yet. So how did you start? Yeah, so um, interesting story. I originally was a recruiter within government or so public sector. Um, I was looking after mainly office support roles. Um, It was something that I didn't really anticipate that I would stay in long term. It's quite a... um, I don't want to say the word boring, but it's not not Mm. an interesting industry where you really are um, talking with employees about you know their futures and what their goals are and it's quite a dry area to recruit in so I ended up in a um, internal recruiting role for a large laser and skin chain um, recruiting across Victoria 
And definitely at that point, I knew I had found my forever home as a career and an industry specifically for beauty and aesthetics. Yeah, very cool. I definitely think our industry is so much fun. It's ever evolving, ever changing. I mean, you can never have a day where you rest. So it's kind of like chalk and cheese from the typical kind of HR industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just everybody really is so uh, focused on what their capabilities are for the future. Like everybody wants to know what's next, what they're working towards. It's not necessarily like a a scale where, you know, you're a year four, level one, level two, um, and you sort of reach those logistical stages in your career. People are like, I want to eventually get into leadership or management. And um, I just love that. I love seeing people so driven, but also, you know, seeing them succeed and achieving their goals. It's it's a, a brilliant industry for that type of thing, for growth and development. Mm, for sure. And there's so many different pathways. I think that's one of my favorite things. And mm. one of the biggest advantages of the aesthetic industry is that there are so many different avenues anyone can go down. I mean, when you're a therapist, sometimes you have your blinkers on and you're like, okay, I can just be a therapist. But then you start to, you know, maybe become a little bit of a trainer or an educator in your space and you might be onboarding new team members and then you go, actually, I really love education. Or maybe you're the top salesperson and then you go, actually, do you know what? I want to be a BDM or an account manager or, hey, I think I can run this business myself, maybe even better than the person who I'm working for. I'm going to a business owner and there's just so many different avenues that are constantly opening up I mean three years five years from now there's probably all of these different roles which haven't even been created yet which is very very exciting yeah and it's also that you can be so self-driven it's not somebody else dictating your success and and overseeing that it's that you really can create your own success you can um with the right amount of work the right amount of energy the right amount of work ethic you can really achieve the sky's the limit in our industry so it's it's I love being in this industry for that reason Yes. And so then tell me about the work that you're currently doing with Headhunter, because that's quite a new platform too, that some of our audience may not have heard of yet. Yes. So Headhunter is an incredibly exciting concept um, because as we all know, there is such a challenge with finding staff at the moment. And what I could see is that uh, business owners are paying so much to advertise their position and there's just such little return on investment. And I um, had seen that Headhunter was born from the AHC, the Australian Hairdressing Council. They recognised in the hairdressing industry it was exactly the same issue. Um, And that's how it was born. It was let's create a platform ourselves that's made by the industry for the industry and let's provide a platform that's super affordable, you know, that completely understands the differences between roles within the industry. You know, there's dermal therapists, there's laser therapists, there's, you know, your standard beauty therapist, it's, you know, lash and brow techs, it's all these different facets of the beauty industry. And when you advertise on some platforms, it's just you're selecting it's trades and labor and it's hairdressing and beauty lumped into the same thing. So it's a very, um, by corporate, by the corporate world, hair and beauty is so misunderstood and it was definitely time for there to be a job advertising platform that was managed by people who truly understand who we are and 
specifically what we are looking for. Yes, so much yes. In fact, um, I remember when I very first met my lawyer, Courtney, um, and I was saying to her, you know, we need contracts for the beauty industry because exactly as you're saying there, the contracts that I've seen are just like very overarching, broad contracts. And so we sat down about two years ago and I was like, okay, if you're a lash tech, you've got these skills. If you're a facialist, you've got these skills. If you're a brow tattooist, you've got these skills. And she was just blown away by the amount of differentiation between each contract and each therapist position, you know, and, and I love that Headhunter has really catered their content and their platform to understanding and also honoring each one of those positions. Yeah. And, you know, candidates want that as well. Candidates want to be able to search for jobs specifically based on their skill set too. It's not just about the business advertising what they're looking for, but candidates don't want to have to sift through 300 different job ads to try and find the one that is advertising the position that that may work for them. So, yeah, it's just, it's definitely time. It needs to be a more affordable option. There's, you know, there's so many countries now that have job advertising at such a low rate or free sometimes. And we as a country are just all using the one platform and paying a fortune for it and getting minimal in return. So I'm excited about what this will mean for the industry. Business owners will save money. They'll feel more understood. They're more likely to find what they're looking for. Um, It's really going to, over the next two, three years, it's going to be a real game changer for the industry. Exciting times ahead. So, Kira, I'd love to ask you then, what's the biggest misconception about HR and recruitment? Because it is a little bit foreign in our industry because we've all just, you know, or many of us rather have come from a therapist and now we're a business owner and we also wear the hat of HR and recruiter in our own business. So what do you find the biggest misconception is? Well, I think um, as somebody who has worked in HR support and recruiting, specifically recruiting, the, the difference between the two when you come from that background is so clear and evident. It's a HR is really about strategy. It's about looking at a business and going, okay, this is where we're sitting right now. This is what our immediate need is and this is what our long-term need is. So strategically looking at do we implement a 2IC position? Do we implement a training position? Um, what does our team look like now and what does it look like in the future and really sort of planning how that will work. And it's, it's about looking at things like what can we outsource? What can we, you know, what systems can we implement to save um, time and money? Do we need to have an internal person that is managing our social media or can we outsource that? But then recruiting is... It's a, it's a process that's being managed by someone. It's, it's the, I have identified what I need and that's obviously the HR side of thing. And I now need to go through the process to find that person. So the recruiter is managing the job ad being written, posted. Um, they're, they're going through the candidates and they're going through the shortlisting process. Uh, they're handling the reference checking process, just all of the logistics of onboarding somebody. So it's a misconception in a sense of understanding the differences between the two. 
But another really big misconception is that you don't need that help Mm -hmm. because when you are a recruiter, you sort of, from my experience in recruiting, you really know not just that business, but the industry specifically as a whole. And you can see what's happening and anticipate where there's movement, where there's going to be need, um, where people are likely to move on, where, you know, you could potentially, uh, you know, help a business before they even know that they need the help. So there were times when I recruited in the past where uh, a candidate may have applied for a position in one clinic and they'd been shortlisted and it looks like they're going to get that role and as a recruiter you can see that they're about to resign from another position and that clinic is about to need a new therapist and you can sort of start to understand how you can actually help the industry um, with you know filling the roles that way it's a a a process that I guess uh, you know it it, it takes a lot of work to get it right. You really have to pay a lot of respect to the recruitment process. And I think the biggest challenge for business owners at the moment is that they just don't have that time. Mm. So, um, yeah, look, I think the the recruiting the recruiting process is is very intricate, and you can just employ somebody purely to manage your recruitment process, but. Yeah, I think it's important that people do understand the differences between HR and recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of business owners uh, recruit reactively because maybe a team member has just left them high and dry and they can see that they've got these appointments for six, eight weeks in advance and they're going, oh my goodness, how am I going to fulfill these appointments? I don't want to cancel everyone. Therefore, I better just quickly recruit. And so then we just think of HR and recruitment as like this lump task which basically just involves a crappy old interview um, and then asking the wrong questions and then going do you know what I'm going to blame it on industry or platforms or you know so many different things whereas it's really interesting that you've said there HR is actually the strategy and I don't think a lot of our business owners realize that they should be having a HR strategy so okay what does that look like then how many people do we need to onboard do we need to onboard Christmas casuals perhaps you know in the next three months if we're looking at kind of July or what is the actual strategy behind our recruitment process who are we specifically looking for? Do we need a full-timer? Mm-hmm. Can we get two part-timers so that we've got more flexibility? Whereas then the recruitment is actually then going out and, and doing the sourcing and actually the process. Correct. And, you know, both of those roles in themselves, they are each a job that is incredibly important for large businesses, medium businesses and small businesses especially. So and with the recruitment process, you know, there's a lot of people who look at their business and strategically decide I am at full headcount, but I am going to bring on another headcount to, you know, be a backup or to um, handle wait lists if we get to that point. So that in itself is is the HR strategy that has been put into place and a recruitment process has followed mm. for that HR strategy. 
Yes, love it. So we should always be going step one, HR strategy, looking at the overarching business. What do I need? Who do I need? What does that look like? And then going, okay, now that I understand, I've got my ducks in a row. Now let's go down that recruitment step. Absolutely. And the other thing I will add to that is obviously a part of HR is, you know, be talking to your employees, get a feel for Mm. where they're at, what they're doing, you know, what their goals are. And if you sit in a one-on-one with a staff member and they're sort of not forthcoming with their goals and they're not super excited about their role in itself, you can anticipate then that potentially in the very near, near future, you're going to have to start that recruitment process. So, yeah, by having the, the the other side of HR, which is, you know, looking after your employees and, and having those one-on-ones and having those conversations, and that is a part of the strategy too. So you're able to then anticipate where you may need to backfill a position. Mm, lots of forward planning, which we don't have time with, um, mostly for our business owners. And uh, this probably plays into it. I want to ask you, what's the biggest challenge that you found business owners have when recruiting and I'm guessing that time is probably one of those a hundred I don't I could not do what so many business owners out there in the beauty industry beauty and aesthetic industry are doing I I sincerely I would not be able to do it because there's the aspect of you know not only if you're opening a business, you have to, you know, manage your fit out. You have to handle the back end of, you know, um, creating an actual business with ASIC and things like that. You've got to have a marketing plan. You've got to have a social media plan. You've got to employ staff. You have, you know, your ongoing things that you need to manage, your customers and your clients. There's so much that goes into running a business and, I have been a recruiter and I have been in a full-time capacity, a recruiter, and I still run out of time. So I, I find that business owners, you know, what they're really, really good at often in the, the industry is treating and providing their customer with an incredible experience. So I, I really believe that if you are at a point in your business where you have to recruit, you either need to set aside a certain amount of hours to pay respect to that process and make sure you're getting the right person or you need to outsource it. And I I guess going back to Headhunter, that's what we want is that we want to have a platform where you can advertise your position and minimal amount of time goes into finding the right person. It's targeted approach to finding that person. So it's a faster process. But even still, even using a platform like headhunter people still sometimes need help with the interview process and the reference checking process so it's it, it is time a lot of most of the time for business owners they just cannot find the time to really make sure they're they're looking for the right person they found the right person yeah and there's so much that's entrenched with the HR strategy, but then the actual process of recruitment. I mean, by the time you sift through the applications and that's a, if you're lucky enough to actually be inundated with applications, because we know that there's a shortage at the Mm. moment in the industry. So we sift through the applications, we phone everyone, we do a preliminary phone call, we get them into the space. We might do a half hour interview verbally. We phone them back, ask them to come back in for a trade test. Maybe we get them to do a half hour face 
facial, half hour massage or a leg wax or whatever the specialty is. We sift through them again. We phone them. Then we've got to spend time inducting. We've got to spend time on boarding. All of a sudden for a therapist to flip around and go, do you know what? This is actually not for me. So it is so much time and effort that we, if we don't have a clear strategy, we're going to find the wrong people for our business and then all of that time is just wasted, which is very frustrating. Exactly. And oh gosh, I, I really feel for business owners who go through that whole process. They exactly what you've just described, the beginning to the end. And then at the very last minute, a candidate, you know, pulls out of the role or falls out of the role or decides not to leave their existing role because they've been counter-offered. And that's what's heartbreaking and that's what disheartens so many business owners. They get a little bit jaded about the recruitment process Mm -hmm. because that happens and it happens to everybody. It's not, you know, the one thing I would say to people is if that happens in your business, if you have an employee who you've just offered, you're super excited about them and then they fall out of the role, they're not going ahead, it happens to everyone. So... Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, I mean, all that time and energy wasted um, and then it's back to the drawing board. Sometimes I really do think um, it's no wonder that business owners are, are really quite, their walls go up with the recruitment process. Yeah, absolutely. And I can even say that's happened in my business at Beauty Industry. I mean, we did this whole huge recruitment and HR strategy drive for um, a sales and partnership manager. We found the perfect person. She was working at another brand at the time. She said, yes, yes, yes. We signed all the contracts, came back and said, look, you know, I've been counter-offered. I'm going to stay at my job. Um, You know, maybe can I just work for you one or two days a week instead of, you know, the full time and and I was like, no, we, we need we need the full time, you know. And so unfortunately, um, she stayed with her business, which look, you know, in hindsight, it might have been the right thing to do at the time. Um, but I was really annoyed and, and so frustrated because I thought, yes, I've got this perfect person. I was so excited to tell all of our brands that, yes, we've got this new partnerships manager coming on board. And then it fell through and I went, oh, no. So I know yeah. exactly how that feels. And that's one the one thing I would say to candidates when they accept a counter offer and they end up staying with their existing employee, really consider why you left. If you were leaving because you were not getting the salary or the wage that you wanted and they do end up offering that because you've left, that's one thing. But you have to also consider then the fact, well, why did they not value me before when I asked Mm. for that money and now they all of a sudden do? And then the other thing to consider is if, if it was a reason you're leaving, if there's not enough development, if you, there's not, you're not engaged with the role, it's not, you know, a part of your brightness of, of future and, and you just cannot see it in your vision, really consider why you're staying. Is it just you're afraid of change? Is it, you know, you don't want to go out of your comfort zone? You're afraid of going back on a probationary period, whatever it may be, but in terms of statistics, if somebody actually accepts a counteroffer and stays with their employer, typically it's a three-month period before they start looking again. And you have to ask yourself, is this opportunity going to be available to me then again? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say is in your situation is from a business owner's perspective, as I said, 
when that happens and and that whole process you've gone through and all that time and energy that's gone into it and you've you've really felt the feeling of this person's going to be great for my business and you get excited and you start planning and then it's it falls out it is so easy when you start that recruitment process again to just have this wall up with mm-hmm. every single person that you're then in- interviewing because it's like this could happen again or I want some guarantees in place here and that often can scare other candidates away as well. So it's really important that if that does happen that you do remain super open still, you know, just put it in the past, move on. It happens, as I said, to everybody and you will eventually get the right person. Absolutely. And we did. And I love you, Lashana. Shout out. (laughs) I love her too. (laughs) After the break, Kira shares with us how you can utilize her knowledge to host an impressive interview and retain team members. But first, a word from today's Beauté partner. The team at The Uniform Stylist have been designing their boutique style uniform collections for over two years in order to meet the evolving needs of beauty and dermal therapists. With a modern and sustainable approach to uniform design, they have listened to industry feedback and are now launching new and exciting additions to their popular bamboo uniform collection, Embassy. Some of the most popular styles are now available in size 18 and brand new styles have been added to complement the existing collection, including their new limited edition Rado jumpsuit, which recently blew up Instagram. Now the Eco Luxe collection offers even more variety for those who already love this brand. If you've been waiting to introduce a fresh new uniform look into your business or simply find out what all of the fuss is about, you can jump online and use the code BUTEVIP15 to receive 15% off any style in this beautiful collection. That code again is B-E-A-U-T-E-V-I-P and the number 15 to receive 15% off any style in the collection. Thank you so much to the Uniform Stylist for making this episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast possible. And now back to Kira. So um, there are always two sides to every story and we've chatted about the business owner's challenges in HR recruitment and we hear a lot from therapists in our Facebook community that, uh, you know, either A, they're fresh grads and they're coming out into industry and no one will employ them because they need three to five years of experience, but how can I get three to five years of experience if you're not going to give me a damn job, right? And then there's B, is that I've been out of industry because of whatever reason reason, um, you know, maybe had kids or took some time off and now I'm 35, 40 coming back and no one's going to employ me. So we hear lots of different challenges. I'm interested to hear what are the biggest challenges that you hear from therapists when they're applying for roles? Challenges from therapists. Um, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different challenges. Exactly what you've just said. There's people who are returning to the workforce And, you know, there's not a lot of people that are really willing to give them a go. But the challenge for therapists, I would say, is it goes back again to the business owner's time. Mm. That is what they're up against. They have to, candidates now have to make such a quick impression. And that starts with their CV. Mm. And there's also the, um, 
there's a thing I talked about this in the strategy summit is the subconscious bias where a business owner has, you know, preconceived notions about an employee before that person can even say their piece. They can't even, um, you know, get into the office and sit down before sometimes a business owner has made their mind up about them because maybe, I don't know, they're wearing a piece of clothing that they don't like or they're, you know, I don't know, wearing a perfume that they don't like. It's just mm. a, a decision sometimes is made really, really quickly. And that is a huge challenge for candidates. It's like they have to be perfect. Everybody's mm. looking for this unicorn candidate and if they don't fit that mold there's a lot of business they won't give them a go and business owners really have to go back to their strategy okay I am looking for somebody with 12 months of experience in a in a clinic with um you know they they've had experience with these treatments or you know this product range and that is fundamentally what they need for some reason in their head, they're picturing this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl who, you know, um, matches the description of that amazing person that they hired three years ago and they, they just, that's what they want. They can't mm. get past that image in their head. It's, it's really just about figuring out what experience you actually need, what exactly are you looking for, and putting everything else to the side. You will find incredible candidates if you are able to do that. Just purely work off your absolutely this is what I'm looking for and all other preconceived notions, their race, their religion, their gender, all of those things, put them to the side and purely recruit based on your strategy. That if people, if a bit more business owners did that, then a lot more candidates would have a lot less challenges in the job market. Yes, I love that so much, so much, because I think we are saturated in our own bias and our own privilege. And sometimes we don't even realize that. And, you know, when we are hiring, for example, I've done this myself, hiring for a massage therapist and a male has walked through the door, I've gone, oh, okay, who's this? But the resume, his name was Jess, right? And so I've gone, oh, okay. I thought, assumed it was a girl. Jess walks through the door, it's a guy, and I've gone, oh, this is going to be no good, you know, Um, and then just kind of dismissed it straight away. So, I mean, this is obviously five years ago, you know, maybe I would have a different um, perception now if I was to recruit for the same role, but I think we do that far too often. We do judge a book by its cover, and I know, again, I'm guilty of this in reading resumes and having poor grammar or poor spelling and going, oh, no, no way. Yeah. (laughs) And then flipping on to the next. It, it, we all do it and it can be things that um, we've decided on somebody's race or religion or, you know, someone made a comment to me not that long ago about, um, you know, the, the Muslim community typically being super sexist. Wow. And I was like, I, 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 that is pure assumption. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know anything it was an incredibly uncomfortable conversation, but it was my job to obviously educate that person mm. on how things actually are, which is important that we do that. But if if that person happened to be recruiting for the role, a role that they, in the business they work in, which is not the beauty industry, but if they were recruiting and 
somebody from that community walked in, would they recruit them or would they have their mind made up about them based on something that they were told by somebody that knows somebody that's a Muslim? It's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a human behavior that we have. We, you know, may have, I don't know, an an ex-boyfriend that um, had a beard. So we just don't like people with beards anymore. We've just had a bad experience with somebody who, has a specific feature or, mm. you know, wears certain clothes or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's, it's, it's really about, you know, part of being a grown up is putting those things to the side and not putting everybody into those boxes. Um, and if we could do that more often, we would be better at recruiting. Mm. And that is, you know, one of the things that the challenges when I was recruiting is putting that in front of a business owner and saying this person matches exactly the skill set and experience and qualifications you're looking for and I would often not even mention their surname so they couldn't see it they'd look through and they go oh my gosh they've worked here they're great perfect no problem and then they had acknowledged in that moment this person's potentially right for our business and there was no understanding of their gender. There was no understanding of Mm. their race. There was no understanding of what their background was and they were able to make a decision purely based on their experience. So it was nice as a recruiter to be able to sort of give people that push and sort of help them to understand none of that stuff is relevant and you may actually have your business will be better off if you put those things aside. But when someone's in control of their own recruitment process, they really have to switch that off in their brain. They really have to ignore any bias that they have. Any, mm. um, oh, it, there's so many. There's so many things. There's so many things that um, get in the way of people recruiting and finding the right people. Absolutely. Have you seen a show called Love Is Blind? I've heard of it, but I haven't watched oh my it. Goodness. I don't even watch TV. <laughs> we almost need to do like a recruitment is blind show spin-off because what happened, and this has nothing to do with HR, but everything to do with HR and recruitment at the same time. So they put um, a row of men and a row of women into these like little cubicles. And so the only way you could get to know these people is to talk to them. So you had no idea about their race, their height, their, you know, you knew their gender, but you didn't know their background, their last names, anything like that. You just knew their first names. And so you went in and you had like these 15 minute or half an hour conversations with this person on the other side and people fell in love you know, and when they met at the end after like, say, 10 dates or whatever it was, I can't remember now, but when they met at the end, they were like, oh, my God, he's white. I can't believe he's white or he's so tall. I would never go for a guy that's that tall. And it kind of reminds me of this. We almost need to do this for the recruitment process because (laughs) it's like you're ticking my boxes as a person who I can see myself with in a relationship. You're kind, you're genuine, you're intelligent, you're funny, whatever those boxes are. And we need to do that for our industry. Okay, you can wax, you can do a facial, you can meet and greet a customer, you can sell them a product. So everything else is irrelevant. Yeah, I love that. I would love to see that. And it's not only I would love to see that for the fairness of candidates, but for the success that a business would see by having that. Mm-hmm. You know, I 
why why is there this perception when a business owner pushes back on a candidate for whatever reason they always use the excuse oh my clients wouldn't yes. want that type of heard that, that type, so like, much yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't match sort of what my clients are looking for and what we do when we recruit is typically we're looking for we're looking for ourselves mm. and so when you go through the recruitment process and you are an owner operator and maybe, you know, you've um, had a salon from home, you've ended up opening up premises, you know, business is getting out of control. You want to bring on that extra head count and they just want to recruit themselves. They want the same sort of personality. They want the same um, sort of look and similar background in terms of experience. And they forget that, well, if you recruit somebody that's different or maybe has a different language or a different approach, it could grow your business and make it more successful because it's going to attract a whole different range of clients into the business. So yeah, the, I always push back on that when they say, oh, my clients just, it's it, it's not about that. Your clients probably, to be honest, won't care. And also, what about the new clients that you could potentially bring into your business? That's what business is about, isn't it? To attract new people. Absolutely. In love, in love with the conversation. Kira, <laughs> tell me about your top tips for attracting quality candidates, because this is what I hear from business owners all the time. I'm recruiting. I can't find them. Where are they? I've gone to all the platforms. Can I post on the Butte Industry Facebook group? Where the heck are these quality candidates? So what are your practical tips for that? Well, I did an hour-long presentation of this uh, for the Strategy Summit. So there is a whole lot of information about, you know, why you actually need to go looking for candidates yourself a lot of the time and how you can actually do that. But in terms of the attraction process, um, I would say you have to start with, you know, your job ad. You know, Mm -hmm. when um, on Headhunter, oh, my gosh, there's... The, my eyes have been sort of opened that I forget I'm a recruiter and I'm great at writing a job ad and I can, you know, I can write something that's really going to attract people and, and help people connect to that job. But not everybody's written, you know, seven, 800, 900 job ads in their life. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't know how to write something like that. So I think just for, I guess, fundamental things, I would always break the job ad down into four sections. The first section should be about you, your business, your story, how did you start, what your vision is and what your mission is, just really describing what the background is and what sort of brought you to the point that you are at now. And then you should move on to, you know, exactly what, the role itself looks like you know is it um a a laser therapist role will they be back-to-back lasering all day or is there an element of skin in there um are they you know looking for a lash tech and they're going to be just doing lash lifts and um, lash extensions all day um really describe the role describe the day-to-day um describe even is parking on site you know what just what it looks like to work there then you'll move on to um, wanting to describe exactly what you're looking for. And this is where you'll use the language like you are a diploma qualified beauty therapist with one year of experience specifically in the beauty industry. Uh, You know, you have uh, 
specifically got skills in this uh, cosmeceuticals range. Um, you are, you will, you know, all those things where you're, you're, it's like as if you're talking to the person because that's what you're nearly at the, the last part of the job ad where you really need to connect to that person. Now you've talked about yourself and you're talking to that person and then you're going to move on to the benefits and that's where you're singing the praises of the job. You know, you, you want to be talking about what you're going to offer this person, what is going to be the point of difference between the job ad that you've written and the job ad or the last six job ads that they've just looked at and describing the benefits as well. So, you know, not just saying excellent work-life balance, you've really got to talk about, you know, we have a, a, a fair and uh, a fair rostering system that allows your input and we want to ensure a great work-life balance. You've got to be a little bit more descriptive mm-hmm. Um and I think the one thing candidates, they see all these job ads and they all describe the same thing for the benefits. And I, a lot of the time they don't actually deliver on yes. those things. Mm. So they lose a bit of faith in, oh, the, oh yeah, work-life balance. Oh, yeah, it's, it'll be a nine till nine shift. Like, yeah, okay. They kind of just lose that faith. But if you're being more specific about the benefits, then they're going to go, oh, okay, that's how they deliver the work-life balance. That's why it's important to them. Um, so a really well-written job ad that helps the candidate candidates psychologically connect to the job and then filling in the blanks with the benefits and really selling them will get that application through. Um, but as I said, there's a whole, a whole long conversation about you now, the way that our industry works is you've got to go find candidates. You have to Mm. be talking to recruiters. You have to um, be advertising on social media. You have to um, be going back through old applications. You've got to talk to your staff about who they know in the industry. You've got to be really connected to the industry now. And um, yeah, it's not just about putting a job ad up and waiting. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And look, even when you look on those job adverts, everyone's saying the same thing over and over again. It is so boring. (laughs) Honestly, everyone is talking about themselves. We, us, we want this to be this. We want that to be that. You have to have, you know, come on. We need to be a little bit more proactive, a little bit more personal, because the thing is, is that every therapist is just going and applying for every single job on there. And Mm. you don't want that. You want a therapist to land on your job advert and go, do you know what? I'm actually not going to apply for any other one because this is the job that I want. And I'm going to put all my eggs into my basket because they have described this role so well that I, I, everything else just looks pale in comparison. Yep. And it's so funny because I've seen, you know, I um, working in business development for Headhunter, I see everybody's job ads. Mm -hmm. I see everybody's advertisements. And I see you businesses out there that are copying and pasting each other's ads and then just (laughs) changing a couple of things around. And you have to ask yourself, you know, is that who you are? Is that actually who you are? You really need to understand that we've just been through a pandemic and people have fully and completely reassessed their lives Mm. and they are a lot of them at a stage where 
they are wanting to be a part of something that provides them with a purpose. Um, You know, they've had time to themselves. They've had time to reflect where they're at in their lives and they want to be in a business that provides them with great career opportunities. That is a, you know, a little family that they feel like they belong to something and they feel like they are fulfilling their greater purpose. They've, they've, they're, you know, what they're doing for their clients is bigger than just, you know, providing a treatment. It's that they're actually a part of a journey and a, a change for that client. So you really got to talk about those things. You've got to talk about what culture your business is and what that person's going to walk into and copy and pasting somebody else's culture and changing things around. And then when that person starts the job and they realize that is actually not what this culture is, that will also you'll it does create an industry you'll create a name for yourself in the industry that you overpromise and underdeliver and that's even that's you can't undo that <laughs> so just writing it from the heart a little bit about what you're looking for is um, a really great way to get people who have the same values as you in your business mm, good advice there so we chatted about um, actually attracting the team member and then we go on through, we start to qualify them through the interview process. Um, what are some of your favourite interview questions? Oh, so many um, <laughs> interview questions. I work off a system which is um, past, present and future. So my interview questions are set up purely around that. I'll look at their CV and figure out, what I don't know enough about in their past. So the CV should really fully describe their past, but if there's gaps there or um, there's not specific dates on there listed, then I will sort of figure out what do I need to know more about and, and put some questions together based on that. So it'll be things like, I can see here that there was about three months that you weren't working. What happened there? Oh, you know, I had a, you know, overseas trip to Europe, trip of a lifetime, Um, or, you know, I had a couple of months off because I was looking after my elderly grandmother or whatever it may be, they can fill in that gap. Um, Then I'm moving on to the present and that's about, you know, what do you do to stay up to date with current treatments and what's going on in the industry? Are you a beauty industry? (laughs) You know, those (laughs) kinds of things. Like what do you know? What are you um, doing to keep up to date? What are you... um, you know, why are you sort of leaving the, the role that you're in at the moment? Mm. Where else are you actively applying for? How far into your job search are you? Um, and then I'm going to ask questions around the future. And that's, you know, what are your goals and aspirations? What are your expectations of your next employer? But I guess the question that the one question that I ask in every interview without fail And it's a very uncomfortable question that a lot of business owners either themselves feel uncomfortable to ask or, you know, they don't want to ask it because it will make the candidate uncomfortable and maybe run for the hills. But I always ask, what is your salary expectation? Mm. And I'm not asking the question because I genuinely actually, like I do, I want to know what they're looking for. 
but I'm looking for how they answer it. So a lot of the time a candidate will really get a little bit squirmish in that circumstance and, oh, I don't know, like, you know, this is what the award level is, but, you know, oh, I was on this in my last job and I, I guess this amount would be, you know, okay. But a candidate, I used to love the candidates that were like, I'm looking for this and this is what I'm going to offer you in return. You know, just that hard answer of this is what I'm worth. And, it, again, it wasn't about the figure. It was about how they answered it, how much they sold themselves, how confident in themselves they were. So I think sometimes people just stick to the questions that are really nice and really lovely and they forget that an interview process is you know, it's a logistical process where you really have to get to know that person's past, their present, what their future is, and and all of the logistics around that. So, um, yeah, ask the uncomfortable questions and, and watch how they answer. Don't wait for the answer. Watch their body language and watch, this. I guess, a bit of the psychology of what's happening with that question. Yes, such good information there. I remember when I was a therapist, I used to come back from jobs and my dad would be like, how much are they going to offer you? And I was like, I didn't know, I didn't ask. And he's like, you silly girl, why would you not ask that? And I was just too scared to ask that. So, um, you know, and, and then later on I would get the contract and go, oh, this, damn it, like what a waste of time for me and also what a waste of time for the business owner as well. So those uncomfortable questions necessary. If if someone was to ask you that question now and you are a strong and independent woman who's, you know, running your own business, like my question to you would be how is how would you answer that question now if it came up? Oh, I vastly you know exactly. Absolutely. 500,000. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know your worth. And I think that, you know, a lot of the time that comes with time and experience in the industry. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a therapist, a graduate straight out of mm. uni, knowing what their worth is too. Absolutely. And worth is not just about, you know, your logistical capability of providing a treatment it's about your work ethic it's about your punctuality it's about your presentation offering those things to a business and saying this is the money I want but this is what I'm offering in return don't be afraid to have that conversation and if and business owners if you have a candidate that answers that question like that mate you're on a winner you're on a big time winner Yeah, absolutely. So it's not always about, uh, you know, having a look at the therapist and going, oh, she's so entitled. She knows exactly that she wants $35 an hour or anything like that. It's kind of like, well, if she's sitting there selling herself or he, um, if they are sitting there selling themselves, then they must be damn good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. Mm, Very cool. So I'm wondering just as a final question for you, can you offer any advice to business owners who might be listening and considering or maybe they're actually currently going through the recruitment process? They may have feeling a bit jaded. They may have given up. They posted on our platform. They posted on all of the platforms. What do they do? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the first thing that I would do as a business owner at the moment is you've got to allow a lot of time. You know, I spoke to a a business just before and they've um, put a job ad up on Headhunter and we had a pretty frank conversation that their start date for a new candidate should not be at least until late March, early April. Mm. So not thinking about having somebody yesterday is a lot of the time a possibility anymore. 
great. If you find somebody that, you know, first applicant is the perfect candidate, that that's brilliant, but it's probably not realistic. So firstly, putting in place realistic timeframes for when you actually will potentially onboard someone, um, you know, making sure you're covering all bases with where you're advertising and advertising in as many places as humanly possible, um, really reviewing your benefits and reviewing, you know, if you're not getting applicants, understanding why. Are you just advertising your position at award rate or are you offering above award and a competitive rate against what everybody else is advertising? Um, knowing your reputation in the industry, you know, have you had a high turnover and is there potentially, you know, candidates out there that are talking about your business and, and you know, that in itself, that's a that can be a huge, huge issue for business owners. You might have had uh, one bad egg that's gone and let everybody know, um, and that's where you've kind of really got to ramp up on social media. You know what your team culture is like, what your vision and 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 your your mission is for not only your business but your team, um, and and you really got to be you've got to be looking yourself. You've got to be talking to your staff. Who do they know? Who might be looking? Um, go to your old applicants, be making those phone calls. Uh, but the one thing, if you have applicants coming through and you're not able to recruit from those candidates, maybe you also need to have a look at what is it you're actually looking for? Are your expectations way too high um and, and are they actually realistic so people you will find people people there's also the challenge of obviously job keeper and covid and everything mm. that we've just got to get through this little bit of an awkward stage um but if you're offering a really great roster a great and a really competitive rate uh, a great team culture and you know training opportunities and career advancement you'll find somebody there's no there's no doubt about it mm. and I think we also um, need to follow this episode up with another episode on okay so once you've got your team you've recruited you've done the interview process how do you keep them and what is that company culture and what does that look like so we can align those expectations but um maybe for another day. Yeah, that is not a conversation. <laughs> That's another hour. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, I appreciate the hour that you've spent with us today, Kira. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. It is just so invaluable for us. It's absolutely been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, E, what a dreamy episode. Sometimes as business owners, it's easy to put the blame on the applicants or the platforms or the industry as to why we aren't getting quality candidates. But when we truly look at how we're navigating our way through the interview process or how we're maintaining our company culture, it can highlight our own faults and give us some clear direction as to how we can do better next time. Kira has shared so much valuable content with us today and shares even more in her Club Beauté and Strategy Summit keynote sessions, which you can watch on demand through our video library for free if you're a Club Beauté member or for a small fee if you're not. I'll pop the link to those in the show notes. But hey, if you are keen, come and join us in the club. We would love to help you boost your business. Kira has recently stepped into the world of social media. So if you've loved this episode, go ahead and show her some love at Kira Maloney HR. 
We are across all of the platforms, which I'm sure you know by now, at Butte Industry and me, well, I'm at Tamara Reed Butte. Have a brilliant week. Until next time, stay connected.